All right, so, um, so we're talking about um, wealth or money uh, today as we're working through different themes in Proverbs. And so uh, Proverbs talks a lot about wealth or money, but most of the time it talks about it in the, in the uh, guise of um, happiness or contentment, right? That, we're, uh, that we use it to make ourselves happy, right? And also um, gauge our contentment level with if we have enough um, or not. So how, um, to give you kind of an idea about um, wealth in the world, um, so uh, what would be your guess as to uh, how much money you would have to have to be in the 50th percentile in the world for wealth? Actually, we'll start a little higher than that. What do you think, how much money would you have to be in the top 1%? Just Ray, I mean, it, this does not matter at all as far as like what you think. Yeah. 900,000, okay. The top 1%, like if you're a one percenter, how much money assets do you have? What do you think? Just, yeah, don't overthink it, you know. How much? 40,000. 50,000. 10,000. Top 1% in the world. Huh? <laughs> Half a million. Okay. So top one percent, nine hundred thousand dollars. Okay. So if you have that's that's an income assets, right? If you have nine hundred thousand dollars worth of something, top one percent in the world. All right. What about ninety percent? So we're gonna come down ten percentage points. How much money would you have to have to be in the ninetieth percentile? Huh? It is, yes, it is. Right, you're right. No, 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 this is like the top 1%. <laughs> no, no, so they're in the top 10%. So the one, so uh, there was some confusion. This does not mean to take this long. <laughs> so 99th percentile means you're in the top 1% of wealth in the entire world. 90% means you're in top 10% of wealth in the entire world. What do you think that is? Somebody else? No, you know the answer to this. What, who else? All right, somebody else guess. Quickly. So 900,000 is 1%. All right, 40,000 in your top 10%. So you have $40,000 worth of stuff, your top 10% in the world for wealth. All right. 50th percentile is $4,000. Does that make you feel better? Top 50. <laughs> for the entire world. So $4,000 in assets means that you're in the top 50th percentile in wealth in the entire world. Okay? Yeah, includes everything. But if you just have that in the bank, you know, even better. All right, why do I say that? We, uh, as Americans, right, most, um, so like the poverty line is well above, right, $4,000 for like on a yearly income in America. So what that means for us is that um, we have different problems with wealth and how we look at money than probably most places on the earth, okay? 
So uh, when, when we think about this, I want you to kind of keep that in mind, right? That as, as far as the rest of the world is concerned, right? We would, uh, we have money, right? We are, we would be considered wealthy uh, in almost all circumstances. And so the first, um, the first thing I want us to, uh, to think through um, is this verse from 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7. And it says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. All right, so I want you to talk amongst yourselves a little bit and engage in the two, the two assumptions that this verse um, makes about our attitudes about money and about what we use it for. Okay, so talk just a minute uh, about um, your attitudes towards money and what this verse um, speaks to. All right, so if you've never been here before, basically just talk to somebody right next to you, and then I'll, I'll call you back in just a second. So, uh, what about, uh, what is this saying about our attitudes, do you think? What are, what are people's attitudes uh, towards money? It's speaking into that idea. We are? Selfish. Selfish. Somebody define greediness as it relates to money. You want to have more, right? Like, what I have is not enough. It's almost like an addiction. Yeah. Absolutely. Like when you're playing Monopoly, when you didn't have money, when you're playing Monopoly, you're like, I like it when they give me more money. You're just like, I like that. Yeah. Can I get some more? And you're just kind of sticking it to the person. You know, it's like, oh, I'm going to give you all this rent for no real reason because I want all your money. All right. What else? Selfishness? Yes, Mason. Preservation. Preservation. Absolutely. Alex? For sure. Yeah. So what would you say then all that wraps up into our attitudes about it, right? Like what's our, what's an attitude about something, right? Like our outlook, right? The way we look at it. So our attitude about money is it's good. Like as our default, like money's good, right? Nothing, there's nothing wrong with money. Okay. All right. There's nothing inherently like anti-moral about money but just the things that it can do for us and our attitudes about it, right, change its conception. And so the Bible often, often, often talks about our, um, our attitudes about money. So as we look at this particular verse, so we also see uh, money as gain, right? Like anybody ever ask you, well, how much, you know, what would you do for $10,000, right? So you're assuming like, well, it doesn't really matter what my actions are. There's a certain level of thing that you would do if someone would give you $10,000, right? Like that's what the money, that's what, well, what about 100,000? Oh, I'd do a lot of things for 100,000, right? So we assume that money is gain, right? That that is good for us, that that is moving us along in where we should be. But here Paul's telling Timothy, who's, his, uh, who's a young minister in the faith, that he says, but godliness actually is the means of gain. Being like God is a means of gain when accompanied by contentment. And so this is dealing with our attitudes as it relates to money. Because that is typically what we would insert in there, right? Contentment equals money. And unless you're Scrooge McDuck and unless you like making snow angels in your cash, right? Like you go to the bank and you just get it. I need all in ones. I need all, whatever my money is, all in ones. And then you just kind of have fun with it. 
<clears throat> but if that's not you, then typically money means something to you, right? It means security. It means I can be selfish with something. Uh, it means power, right? It means fun. Like, what does money mean to you? If you're taking some notes or if you just have a mental whiteboard in your head, right? Money equals what to me, right? And that's going to tell us about what our attitude is towards it. And so thinking of that attitude, this is how, why Paul says this, that godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. And then he adds this, for we have brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of it either. So if money uh, or, um, so if we, if we leave the world as we came into it, right, then money and stuff is really just for this world, right? Everybody agree with that? It's just for this world. So then what is, um, then typically money is just going to be for our comfort, right? Whatever that means to us, that is what kind of money is going to mean. The more I have of it, the more comfortable I am, the more stuff I can decide what to do. So let's look at, we're going to kind of bounce around here a minute. So let's look at... Um, a couple of principles about money, and then we're going to come back and talk kind of about it in general. So the first thing, let's skip ahead a little bit. We're going to actually come back to some of those slides. Uh, so the first um, red slide we have, uh, and these are how we've been going through the, um, the themes. And so this is the principle we're going to look at a couple of different verses, and there's four of them that we want to look at today. So the first one um, is that Proverbs is going to encourage us to be on guard against greed. Okay about wanting more, about having all of it. So greed is, right, I taste, so here's a slice of cake, okay? Cake tastes good, but then I'm mad that everyone else has some cake, right? Everybody's felt that? That's greed. I want all the cake. <laughs> Not just most of it, like I don't want you to have any. What, what, where does that come from, do you think? Like, because that's more specific than being selfish. Everything. Okay. Yeah. 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 I think that's super helpful. From a lack, absolutely. Somebody else want to add to that? Where's that extra the greediness come in? Okay. That's right. I want to crush you. I need all, I need all of the things. All right, so let's look at a couple uh, verses here. So uh, the verses are going to touch on this uh, area, and I'll just kind of roll through a couple of these. So Proverbs 18 11, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, like a high wall in his own imagination. Think about the gathering of things. So this could be um, assets. Um, how many of you, for when you were young, like collected things? Yes? All right. And why do you, and the point of collecting things is to have all the stuff, right? But why? Like, why do we want all the things? It's kind of an interesting kind of dramatic. My, my oldest child is nine. He um, has collected many things in his life. <laughs> um, but why, why do we want to collect things? And this is kind of some insight into uh, why we collect money or property or anything. Why do you think? Why do we collect things? What do you think this is saying about that? 
Huh? It is, right? Yeah, what was like, what felt good about having all of the fill in the blank? Huh? Nobody else had it, right? Uh huh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what this verse is talking about is whatever your thing is, is like bricks in a wall, right? And whatever, whatever my thing is, if I want to d- d- go to all of the na- uh, national parks, right? I want to collect all the quarters. I want to have all the X or Y is that these things, this is kind of, as a child, this is kind of what wealth is to us. Like I want all the stuff and it acts as a wall, right, of protection, right? That I have meaning and purpose, right? That there's nobody can come in here and tell me that I I don't know what I'm doing, right? That there's a sense of accomplishment, right? But what does it say? In his imagination. Because um, is uh, Jeff Bezos, like he's got, you know, he's, he's got a lot of stuff going on, right? But is he immune from cancer? Is he immune from a loved one dying? Is he immune from the market tanking and all his wealth going away? No. So to every one of us, it doesn't matter if you have two nickels to rub together or you got $15 billion, right? It's a high wall in his own imagination. And so as we think about what our attitudes are, we always think about, well, what that would bring, right? But we don't think about kind of what the reality is. Can I have enough to make it give me what I actually think it can give me? A couple other verses, Proverbs 23, 3-4. Do not desire its delicacies, for it is deceptive food. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Seats from your consideration of it. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. Right, what is the overwhelming testimony of these individual verses about wealth right, and about greed? Right, that it's not what I think it is. And so the issue is not like most of you don't have any money. And so this doesn't seem it's like, okay, great. <laughs> but the temptation is always there, right? The temptation is always to make decisions based on money, right? All right, so let's look at a couple more here. So the first thing... Talked about greed number two. Even if we don't, uh, if we have more than enough, our lives do not consist of our possessions. And so this is the one that we would say, yeah, absolutely, that's true. Except, how? Why do we struggle with this? What are the ways in which, even if you don't have kind of a ton of money in the bank, and you may, congratulations. But why do we still struggle with this when we have enough? When I don't really. You know, when we're thinking it's our birthday, it's Christmas, somebody asks us, like, what gift we need, and we're like, let me just go on Amazon and just, like, find some stuff, right? Like, we don't need anything, and yet we're not content. What's going on? Talk about that, talk about that amongst yourselves. As you see people do that, as you struggle with that, 
What is going on? When we have everything we need and we're still not content. All right, all right. All right, so when we, when we have what we need, if we're looking for something to get, but the contentment's not there, what do you think's going on? What are we struggling with? Say again? Acceptance. Okay. Somebody else. Good. Comparison. Comparison. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that is that is accessible to me, right? If I have some means to get it. Yeah. Maybe one more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, I think that, um, all of those are really helpful thinking about kind of our, um, uh, the why behind that. So let's look at a couple uh, proverbs here. So better is a little with fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil. Uh, fifteen seventeen. better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox served with hatred. Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. It is better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. Each of these is getting kind of at this idea, right, that, they're, that the drive, right, for kind of financial gain, and if that's um, kind of an overwhelming drive for us, what, what's probably the state of our um, other relationships, if that's kind of an overwhelming drive. Because it's, it's, it's not saying do that and do this. It's basically saying if you have that, you probably don't have this. What's the this that they're talking about? Okay, what else? Huh? Contentment? Yeah. When we're invested in something really heavily, anybody been too invested in something? How did you know you were too invested? Did your friends tell you <laughs> that they were being neglected? Or a relationship? Right? How we know we're too invested in something if somebody comments on it, right? Hey, remember me? <laughs> so what we see over and over and over again is basically like that, that drive to security in that one place unsecures everything else. Right, the drive for security in one place unsecures everything else. All right, so let's look at number, uh, number three. Wealth from hard work is a blessing, but wealth gained through other means is death. I just really want to touch on, there's some other verses here, but just to be able to um, end on. Uh, uh. So a lot of times, uh, many people think, um, you know, when we're, when we're uh, wealthy or have means, um, that it's always gotten through, uh, through kind of cheating, or uh, that's not true. What, we, what this verse is talking about is like, God has given some measure of blessing, right, to someone, and that is 
uh, can be absolutely random. Like we have absolutely no idea like why he does that to some, because there's some that drive for wealth and never get it. And there's some that don't try and are crazy wealthy, right? I mean, there's lots that, dri that drive crazy and are wealthy. If it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it of its own accord, but we do, don't we? In the ways in which, right, we use that money, the ways in which we worry, because when we have it, when we don't have it, we worry about having it, right? But when we have it, and you may not know this, you'll worry about not having it, <laughs> or where more comes from. And so it's this story, it can be uh, the source of sorrow for us, but this is not of God's making. But in the end, if that is our drive, right, that is the thing that's going to come to, uh, that it's just going to be over at some point. All right, and lastly, there are things that are more precious than money and possessions. Now again, just like the number two, we know this, except we struggle with this in the ways in which we invest, okay? And the meaning like the things that we spend time on. So it's one of those things where I know it, but I have trouble doing it, or I struggle with the temptation to not do it. And let's look at a couple verses here and then close with a couple thoughts. So Proverbs 22, 11, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. Right over and over and over again, we see right, that riches are okay. Right? But, but there is something that is not available to them that we think is available to us through those means. And so the temptation is great. I want to end our time um, with a, uh, a couple thoughts here. And it's going to be, um, and some of it's going to be from a parable. And then kind of work to uh, an idea I think it will be helpful for you. So this first thing is, is Luke uh, 12. And it's a parable about uh, a rich man. And we'll uh, read it. I encourage you, if you don't already have uh, the scripture um, written down or memorized, that you spend some time with it. Because there's a lot of things in here that you... Uh, and I need to hear pretty frequently. Um, you guys are busy people. Uh, your club, you got clubs, you got friends, you got jobs, you got relationships, you got schoolwork. Um, you got a lot of stuff going on. And in the midst of all that, right, our heads are down and we're working towards something that we just kind of, it's, it's just success, right? Whatever that means. <laughs> But in this instance, this parable is asking us to lift our heads up, right, and to redefine what success actually means. Because if you don't, you'll be 55 and not really understand what life is about. The rest of your life is essentially practice for figuring that out, right? And you see, uh, anybody in here know somebody that's really old and rich and unhappy? Raise your hand high. <laughs> right? That won't happen to me. If I had that, I'd be super happy. <laughs> right? That we see example after example after example of people that don't understand what life is about because they looked up, they were doing everything that somebody said they should do, and they looked up and like, why am I unhappy? 
He said, then beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, the very night your soul is required of you. And now you will, um, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And there's lots and lots of other good teaching here. We all assume, anybody in here young? I, I'm the only person that couldn't raise my hand. Renee's, no, yeah. <laughs> right, you're young in here, right? One of the assumptions of youth, right, is that I will live for a long time. And all the things as it relates to gaining wealth lives in that assumption, right? Like I'm, I'm striving this hard. If anybody knew I was going to die in two years, would everyone be working super, super hard? Anybody? No, that's not how it works, does it? We work really hard because we think we'll live long lives. And that will become a point at which that I can enjoy the hard work that I've had. But he's saying here, right, the life does not consist of one's possessions. That's not life. And so it's fine to have money. It's fine to have stuff. It's fine to enjoy it. But if that, again, is, is what our life consists of, right, he's saying that's not it. And we have many, many examples of that. Um, Josh, if you uh, will go to um, uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7 slide. So back in 1 Timothy, we'll finish up here. Back in 1 uh, Timothy, right, they, um, godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. And I want you to have uh, this idea of godliness. And um, in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, um, uh, if you have a Bible, turn there and highlight it, circle it, star it. Um, this is a really, really significant passage in uh, all of Scripture. This is where God reveals his character personally in his own voice. He says, hey, this is what I'm like to Moses. And I want you to see, um, we'll read the Scripture real quick, yep. Read the scripture real quick, but I want you to see what it says about his character and about us, about what um, is a good reminder here. And the Lord passed in front of him, and that him is Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and who, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And he continues on in saying that he will not leave that... Uh, that sin unpunished and its consequences uh, don't go away. But I want to focus on this first part. And the next slide has those uh, uh, listed out. And so this is what God says, hey, here is who I am. 
I am compassionate. I am gracious. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in loving kindness. I am abounding in truth. I practice loving kindness for thousands. And I forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin. I want you to equate those characteristics to what it means to be godly. When he talks about being godly, he means this. And so I want you to put, um, and uh, I want you to just spend um, just a couple minutes talking. This will be kind of our last kind of together discussion question as we end. As you look at those characteristics, how is um, wealth and thinking possession in our life, how are, how are those things antithetical to these characteristics? Like how do those things, kind of being about those things, thinking that those things have meaning, how does that drive you away from these things, like the characteristics? How does like wanting money, which really means comfort, right? How is comfort antithetical, right? Or how does it diverge from these characteristics of God? Talk about that for just a minute. All right. All right, so how is comfort, right, antithetical to um, godliness? What you got? Yes? He doesn't. So she just summed it up. She's like, bam, that's it. <laughs> he doesn't call us to be comfortable. A couple other comments. Good stuff. Yep. Yeah. That's a good, a good summation. Now, if you ever heard, uh, if you're familiar with the author, uh, Timothy Keller, he's a retired pastor now. And um, he has this book called Counterfeit Gods. Highly recommend it. Uh, but in that book, he uh, differentiates between these two ideas of deep idols and surface idols. Okay, he says everyone, right, is tempted to deep idols. And there should be a slide for that. One more. There's a one that has deep idols. And... Wait for it, wait for it. Just says deep idols and surface idols. Maybe, maybe it's not up there. There we go. <clears throat> so think of the deep, these would be deep needs that you have, right? A need for just some sort of power, like I can do something, right? Versus feeling powerless, right? Or uh, I really have a desire for approval, comfort, or control. These things are not bad, right? To have just some source of control over uh, the life that you lead. But those are the underlying things that we need. And when we don't find them, right, we go looking for them. Amen? And so what the surface idols are is how those deep idols are manifested. Right? So if I am a person uh, that is uh, going after wealth, right, it's because, right, I'm trying to satisfy a need for power, for approval, for comfort, or for control. Does that make sense? So the surface idols that we have should lead us to, well, what is it that I'm looking for here? And the idol is just anything that we are worshiping or investing in, right, other than God. He says, God says, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Right, we make it the thing that we're about. 
But why this is helpful for us is because that we need to know what we're tempted to. It's not money. There's nothing inherently shiny or pretty about money. Right? There's, nothing, uh, there's no reason why like, I want a better couch than I have now. But I do. Don't, don't, you, don't, everybody just doesn't like the couch that they have. You just always want a different couch. <laughs> if I had that couch, I'd be happy. Right? And so when we think about, I think that that's really helpful for us to think through that that is the issue, right? It's not, it actually isn't the money, it's why we want the money, right? And how badly we want it and what we think it'll give us. And so he, can, uh, he continues um, and is using those ideas. He put the, a couple quotes up there. He says, why do we fail to love or keep promises or live unselfishly? Because we are weak and sinful? Yes. But the specific answer in any actual circumstance is that there is something that is more important to my heart than God himself. And so in the instances of the couch, right, like I just, that's what I'm missing. Not God's love or his um, affection or the things that he says that I need. But I need that. That's going to make me happy. And so I'm going to I'm going to say that that's more important than what he, how he tells me to live. We would not lie unless we, he, we first had made something, uh, something, human approval, reputation, power over others, financial advantage, more important and valuable to our hearts than the grace and favor of God. That is, it's choosing between being, uh, him being pleased with us, right, and that being kind of the ultimate goal, is that I really need this thing, and I don't care what I have to do to get it, Right? That's the deep idol. It's satisfying a surface idol, which is really satisfying a deep idol. You with me? He goes on. The secret to change is to identify and dismantle the counterfeit gods in our hearts. I feel like each one of you, if in this space, if you took, went home and took an hour and just wrote down what those is, I think you pretty well could actually write them down and know what they are, Right? When we do that, it takes a lot of the power over what it is because we see that it's just generally those four things on the, the deep idols. That I want to exert some level of power, that I want to be uh, approved, that I want to have my comfort, and I want to have control over all of that. And so we're pretty simple creatures. He goes on to say, I think uh, this is helpful as well. Idolatry is not simply a form of ritual worship, which is what we think it is. But it's a whole sensibility and pattern of life based on finite values. Making created things into godlike absolutes. In the Bible, therefore, turning from idols always includes a rejection of the culture the idols produce. And that's hard. We're Americans. <laughs> right? Our culture, right, is about real specific things. And you know what they are. We like them. We're good at them. But the challenge here, right, is to understand that as we value, it's, it's one thing to kind of partake in them. It's one thing to um, kind of be in the world. It's another thing, right, for the world's values to be our values. Right, the thing that I think is the most important be the same as the world. That's hard. That's the only, it's the only world you've ever lived in. Why shouldn't I like it or enjoy it? 
And the answer comes from as you look around you at your friends <laughs> and your parents and the people uh, younger than you, as they engage in it, it's hard to see your own unhappiness, but you can see theirs pretty well, can't you? As they value what the world values, are they, are they pretty stoked about it? Is it keep them, does it keep them uh, really content? <laughs> yet, yet we think that we're immune uh, to this, don't we? I think I do. Man, Andy's really unhappy doing that, but I'll love it. <laughs> he really uh, is like getting over his skis on that, but man, like I'm never gonna do that. I'm awesome, he stinks. <laughs> that will not be a problem for me. But here's my, my, my last encouragement, is as we think about what we value, we have to not, not continue to move forward, but we have to outright reject what the world says is good. Food's fine. Going to a concert's fine. Being wealthy's fine. Having fun is fine. Having friends is fine. Having a great job is fine. Having 35 kids is fine. Right? Whatever your thing is, like, it's all good. Okay? It's all good. But when we make that good thing the most important thing, right, that is the issue. And that is what Proverbs is trying to help us and keep us from, right, as it relates to um, our money. So the last thing I want to share with you is the Lord has given me this, this picture that has been so hard for me and so convicting for me. Um, as we've seen before in the previous slide about God's character and about comfort, that comfort is the enemy of love. Right? Uh, we know this because if I'm comfortable on the couch and somebody asks me to do things, which my wife often does, and I pause every time, I'm really comfortable. I have to get outside un from under this uh, blanket. I'll have to like take my feet. I'll have to like put force on my feet and walk. Like who wants to do that? But to love or obey her, right, I've got to get, I've got to remove my comfort to do that. Comfort is the enemy often of love. And so what comfort looks like is me sitting in uh, an easy chair or uh, I don't know what, if people even have these anymore, like a lazy boy. You may know what a lazy boy is. They're real nice. Every, if you've ever gotten in one, you can't really get out of it and you don't want to. Right, so you sit, he's like, Oh, oh, that's pretty nice. And then you find like, is there a foot thing? And you're kind of searching for it. And you're like, oh, yes. <laughs> and then you're just there. You're in a place where if uh, it's like those, those uh, people in um, Wally, you know, they got like their sh share shooting around right there. They're just kind of you're in that seat and you're like, I don't. Is there any way that I can never get out of this chair? Didn't they have like a whole episode of Friends about this? Like how long they could last like in the chair? Maybe we can get them to give us the pizza so we don't have to get up. <laughs> but that is what comfort looks like. And that is really what money feels like to all of us. That they think we think that's the good life. Right. That chair. But loving 100% of the time means that I've got to get out of that chair, right? And so we live lives to get into that chair and God says, I want to teach you to live a life not only that involves getting out of the chair, but wanting to. That you value getting out of that chair more than you value being in the chair.
the more comfortable I am, the less inclined I am to get up for you. And so he has been convicting the absolute stew out of me about that, about how, about how much I'm striving to get in that chair versus how I'm striving to be available for others. And so the lives that we lead, I think, are either le- leading us into that chair <laughs> and the enjoyment of it, right, or keeping us ready that, hey, that chair is comfortable and I'll lean back in it and I'll pop my feet up and I'll enjoy it when I'm there anytime I'm allowed, but that's not what life is about. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I love my chair. It's really, 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 really good for me. I feel warm there. Nobody's bothering me. I have everything I need. You know, I can reach the remote and some snacks and a book. My phone, just whatever I could desire, right, Father, is in that chair, suited specifically to my preferences. And yet, as I sit in that chair and I'm like, hey, is this what life is all about? And you remind me, nope. Life does not consist of our possessions. Life is about knowing you. It's about living a life that can go on. As a father today, I pray that you would uh, begin to chip away at our American comfort. Like our, our society is built on being comfortable. We have shops where we drive down just to buy stuff to make us more comfortable. I love being comfortable, but father, do I love you more? Do I see you as more valuable? Do I see your life as better for others? And so, Father, I pray that you would challenge us today. Father, I pray that you would challenge whatever is set up in our hearts that wants that comfort more than you. I beg you, Father, break our hearts for that. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.